We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Villato. There will be no preamble today. We want to roll right into these questions for the mailbag because there's a lot of them. We want to try to get to all of them. We might not based on time constrictions for both me and Nick. So without further ado, Chris, no longer in St. Pete, used to be in St. Pete, asks, what do you guys think the current weakest unit through the first two games is for example is it the interior offensive line the linebackers the wide receivers or the secondary specifically the cornerback two position i think i have to go with the linebackers right i mean the coaching staff said as much and it could be game plan specific because they were going against christian mccaffrey and the carolina panthers who tend to have a lot of speed on their side but they didn't want to play anybody behind tay crowder and honestly i don't know how much they really want to play tay crowder so I think you could make an argument for the wide receivers, the secondary piece, although I thought Cordell Flott and Moreau played pretty solid opposite of a Dory Jackson with all things considered. But if I had to pick one, I think I'm going to go linebacker. It definitely wouldn't be corner for me. Receivers is interesting. Um, they have had some openings that Jones missed. They've also not been creating separation times when they wish they could. I'm not going to go there either. I think the right answer is the way Nick lawyered it there was linebackers. Cause it is true. Like they're literally not playing these guys. What does that tell you? But I'm going to go with the interior offensive line here because I do think the interior offensive line has been pretty damn bad in pass production. Like there's not really much to go off of. There's a few good reps basically at best, but this has been a bad interior offensive line. We should have known this was going to happen. We, we knew, but we didn't, I don't know. We knew, man. Like we knew, we knew. We have we have Feliciano, we have like a Zudu, a rookie, and Glowinski, who is a solid player, but there's a reason why no one went crazy over signing him in free agency because he's a good run blocker and he's a probably a average to below average pass protector, to be completely honest. So it is what it is, but I would go with that unit. The one reason why I didn't mention that unit is because they been pretty damn good as run, run blocking block. unit. Yeah. Now, not as much in Carolina. I think a lot of that was due to what Carolina was doing, but that's also prompting Carolina to do something to stop the run by bringing those linebackers so aggressively, which Mike Kafka sure. had success making them pay off the play action bootlegs and the play action rollouts and things like that. The naked bootleg that they used, I think, two different times they had success with those two plays. And if the Giants passing attack and their wide receivers can do a little bit more on that end, then they can really make them pay, which would slow down those linebackers, which would open up more holes to run the football. So it's all freaking related, you know. But Alex Buston, 
nice name, asks, how can the Giants recover from the Galladay contract? And when would it happen? For example, could you trade him and offer a third round pick for him to another team to take on his salary and get cap relief? To be a little more clear, the Giants give a third round pick with Galladay for whatever they can get back or cash considerations, et cetera. Losing valuable draft capital to get rid of his albatross cap hit. Yeah, so this is not uncommon in the NFL. Well, it's uncommon, but it's not unheard of in the NFL. A few years back, yeah, of course, Nick nailed it. A few years back, the Broncos signed Brock Osweiler to a horrific contract. And during the money ball era of the Cleveland Browns, a big reason they were able to build out a pretty good roster besides quarterback right now is because they took on the Osweiler contract and and in return, the Broncos actually traded them. I believe it was a third round pick. Was it third rounder? It was the Texans. Oh, the Texans, not the Broncos. Sorry, the yeah. Texans signed him after his like mediocre few games with the Broncos. Was it? Didn't they give up a third round pick? I think. Bill I believe so. Yes. It might have been even more than that, but yeah, it, it was definitely a second. Like a Holy yeah. crap! It might have been a second if I'm thinking about it now. So anyway, this is a similar suggestion from Alex. I'm going to shoot this one down completely. Okay, so look, right now the Giants are in a tight salary cap situation. But as I've said on the previous podcast, and I'll say again, that's only for right now, and that's only by design by Joe Shane. Very shortly, they're going to be in a very healthy cap situation. As soon as this conti- this coming offseason, 2023, they're already immediately in a good cap situation. Now, you could screw that whole thing up if you give Saquon Barkley $15 million a year, and if you give Daniel Jones $30, 23000000 million a year on, or something crazy like that, then you're right back in the hell, of course. But as of now... And I, again, remain skeptical that either of those two will be resigned. Barkley, because Joe Shane came up with Brandon Bean, a guy who's never paid the running back position, I think is very, I think Joe Shane personally is not going to be a big believer in paying the running back position now. John Mara plays a factor. Saquon Barkley is the face of the franchise. He's the entire offense right now. He sells jerseys, all that stuff considered. But as far as Daniel Jones goes, I mean, like dishing out some kind of three-year deal in the 26 million range or something, I doubt that's going to happen either. So their salary cap situation is going to get better pretty fast. I know they do have to re-sign Andrew Thomas. I think they're going to have to re-sign Dexter Lawrence, uh, Julian Love potentially, and Xavier McKinney. So it's not like it's going to be unreal forever, but it's going to get pretty healthy. So I'm not worried right now about getting out of this Golden Day contract to the point where I'm willing to give a day two pick draft capital up. But Harrison asks, do you see the Giants selling at the deadline? For picks like a Zimenez, Sterling Shepard, or Julian Love? It's a really, really interesting question. I love this question because it gets into the dynamics of what is going to happen with Joe Shane in his first trade deadline as general manager of the Giants. We know if we still had Gabe Gettleman, the answer is a hard no, right? Dave Gettleman did the opposite. He traded picks and picked up player. Um, Leonard Williams, despite the team being dead at the deadline. They were two and six at the time. The playoffs were almost a guarantee no, and he did it anyway. Now the Giants are the opposite. They're winning football games, and yet he gets the deadline chain. What kind of GM is he going to be? It's a really interesting question. I wish I could answer it better, Harrison, if I had to guess, which I think is all that is right now because this is Joe Shane's first deadline. I'm going to say no, so long as the Giants don't lose like every game from this point on until then. If they even win one or two games, my answer will be no. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be sellers either. And I, I'm not even 100% certain if they want to get rid of a player like Julian Love. He could right. be a fixture here. Oh, Shane, I'm, I'm not really no too one's sure Shep. about that. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think anybody would take Shep. So I don't believe they're going to be sellers. And if they continue to win football games, they definitely won't be. Like if they are in the 
in consideration for that seventh wild card spot. There'd be no reason for them to do that, even though they're aware of the current situation with the roster and how there's probably going to be some turnover in the coming years. I think the bigger, more interesting like thought, if we were going to go down this path of hypotheticals, would be could they consider trading a Leonard Williams type at the deadline once he's healthy with the idea in mind that Dexter Lawrence is 24 years old. They're going to re-sign him, and they want to clear out some cap space at the interior defensive line position. I don't think they're going to do this, but that would be the one that kind of gets me thinking a little more. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, <laughs> we've speculated on Saquon Barkley in the past. I don't envision that happening either. Yeah, I don't. Oh, that's a good one too with Saquon Barkley. Yeah, the Barkley thing's interesting, especially with him in a contract year. But if they're winning games, I don't see them doing that either. So, Eric asks Dan and Nick. The biggest question I have for you guys would be, before the season, on paper, we thought the wide receiver position was a strength. Do we need to be patient? The media loves the Galladay and Tony stories right now. Odell Beckham Jr. potentially coming back. Wit and get, um, wit, I don't know. I don't know what that is. And give our guy, will they give our guys a chance or will Odell Beckham Jr. come back for a minimum salary and will that help? We, we we touched on the Odell Beckham thing. I don't see why Odell would come back to New York when he can go to a team that is realistically going to compete for the Super Bowl right now. And as for the wide receiver, look, it's the situation right now. Injuries have worked against him. Kenny Galladay's contract has obviously worked against him. Kadarius Tony missing some parts of training camp and being a little bit behind has worked against him. Several things have worked against the New York Giants in terms of the wide receiver position, despite the fact that they've allocated so much to it. That's just the nature of the situation right now. There's no way to rectify that. They the, the bet has been made, and yes, it, it sucks a little bit, but it's going to be like this the entire season. We need Sterling Shepard and Kadarius Tony, Sterling Shepard to continue to step up, and we need Kadarius Tony to step up and be a little bit more involved with this offense. Yeah, and on the Odo Beckham thing, look, we saw already the fallout of Baker Mayfield missing reads, not seeing an open Odo Beckham Jr., and what that led to. Right now, Daniel Jones is struggling to see the field post now. That could lead to some locker room disarray. If they bring on an Odell Beckham Jr., Daniel Jones is not reading him, and Beckham's starting to get pissed. So I want to just put that out there because it's not like it hasn't happened in the past. I'm not trying to knock Odell or anything. That's not the goal here, or knock DJ. But look, we've seen it play out. It's a risk because of that. Now, as far as your first question goes, I don't think me or Nick came into this season thinking that wide receiver position was a strength on paper. Last offseason, we did because we had super high hopes for Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Toney. But coming into this season, we already kind of felt like Kenny Galladay is a bit washed, maybe done completely. Kadarius Toney, question marks there. What's left? Sterling Shepard, Richie James, Wondell Robinson, a player who me and Nick never really felt was a huge ceiling. I think we got to think about this from the scope and this perspective of the whole league. Yeah, sure, we're paying a lot of money for these guys, but look around the NFL. One team has Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. One team has Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, right? You know, you look around the board, and we are not one of the, uh, on paper even, one of the teams that has a strength to wide receiver position. Also, Eric had a statement that I will need to read on this. He said, in New Jersey, the best food is the following. Pizza, Star Tavern, open-faced steak sandwich, River Palm, and ramen at Miss Mitsua. And guess what? I've never had the, the latter two, and now I need to try them, Eric, and I will. I will. I'm going to have to look at where those are in relation to where I live, but I love ramen. I'm a diehard ramen fan, and I haven't had great ramen, in my opinion, elite-level ramen, since I lived in Astoria. I forgot the name now of the place, but they had the most amazing ramen place ever there. Um, you lived so, in Montclair, though, man. Montclair, don't they have I a know, bunch I think of it's ramen? Overrated. Mon Montclair has one of the most highly rated ramen. It's called Ani Ramen. 
I got to be honest, Nick, I found it a bit overrated. It was good. It was a good ramen place. I want to make that clear. But compared to that place I had in Astoria that I'm now forgetting, and if anyone can remember, it's on 30, or if anyone lives in the Astoria area, this was right off of 31st and Dittmar's, basically. You're like right off, not right off the subway stop, but when you walked all the way down to like where the CVS was, then you turned and went uphill on the CVS. And, and that's a bad description. But if you remember that ramen place there, I'm trying to think of what was near that. I'm drawing a blank on on exactly what was like surrounding that ramen place. And it's probably no longer there, but that was next level. And so I will definitely be trying Mitsua. Uh, and as far as your first take, yeah, um, I'm going to start, start Tavern Die Hard. Yes, I know there are some better pizzas that people will argue in Jersey, and they might even be right. But look, Star Tavern is where I grew up on. It's five, ten minutes from where my parent, from where I grew up at my parents' house. They have awesome secret menu items like the scampi wings. And you can then dip the pizza in scampi sauce left over. There's just so much to like there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes to that one. All right. Bill Updegraff asks if, comma, with a snap of the finger, you could add either two top 25% of the league interior offensive linemen or two top 25% of the league wide receivers to this team, which would you choose? This is easy for me, Dan. You want to take it? Ooh. So it's easy. I know why you're thinking it's easy and I will all be curious if I'm right about why you're thinking it's easy. And I think for you, the easy answer in your mind right now, Nick, is interior offensive line. Is that before I go on? Is that what you were thinking? No, no. Okay, okay. Okay, because I wasn't either. Yes, I was thinking wide receiver, too. Um, Look, me and Nick are both big believers in the one true thing about football. Get a quarterback win the trenches, get an offensive line, get a defensive line. Well, the defensive line thing, by the way, I don't know about anymore. I kind of want corners, but get a quarterback, get an offensive line before you get to scope positions. We, we agree with that in general. That's how you win games. But, but it's so much harder to find these elite wide receivers than it is to find these elite or even top 25%, let's say, interior offensive linemen. So it's all position scarcity thing. It's all supply demand thing. It's all an opportunity cost thing. But for all those reasons, it's receiver for me easily receiver and who are we looking at as a top 25 receiver if we can add just two snap of our fingers are you look talking about maybe a low-end guy like a marquise brown is he top 25 percent dj Moore, he right. might fit into that category t higgins if you want to go with the bigger body guy like i would take two of those guys over a top 20 you would have to limit the interior offensive lineman to like a top five percent to yeah. top 5% interior offensive lineman for this to be a question that i would even entertain but still i think i would go receiver Yep, I like it. All right. Gil Gilberg says, the all-22... Goldberg. Goldberg, sorry. Great name, too. Goldberg, I can't miss that. Um, great wrestler, obviously. Uh, what is he? What's that movie with Goldberg? I have no idea. You you never know anything. when it, The fact that you didn't know Little Giants, I had literally two people text me about that this week. They're b- awesome. beyond disgusted that you never heard of that movie as a Giants fan girl. I heard of it. I heard of it. I just okay. don't think I've seen it. All right, well, we'll we'll let this slide for now. But Goldberg says all twenty-two are film reviews, great to listen to, but would be awesome on YouTube. Is there any chance of this happening? I wanted to bring this up with you, Nick. Would it be possible for us to streamyard this? You share screen, and then we kind of go over plays. Is that a thing? I think we could attempt it at some okay. point, but I want to. <laughs> I want to prep. Great technology, people. Let's make that clear. No, no, I think I'm fine. Nick's, Nick's not bad. I'm not good. But the thing is, it would be logistically difficult because we jump around so much. Mm-hmm. So like there would be a lot of just sharing my screen where it's just like my background with a bunch of videos on it and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. we're clicking from play to play to play to play. And unless somebody were to cut that video up for us and put it in one nice, like long ass video, 
then there's really no way to do it unless we just keep going back, back, back. Now, yeah, that we're def- no one, neither of us have the time to cut that up. Let's just be honest about this. No. Me and Nick are doing a lot of other things off this pod. Unfortunately, we, you know, we would love to have the John Boy setup where you have interns and you have people do running social and everything. This is all. This operation is literally all me and Nick. So, and the editing is all Nick. So he carries that burden there. And so, and we have full time jobs outside of this. So, unfortunately, right now it might not be possible. But I will say this, Nick: if we just had you sharing screen, right? And we had our true media open and we just were kind of going by plays and leaving. And when, when we weren't, you know, we would have a lot of just the same play on the screen pause at, at points when we're talking. But I don't know how bad that is because people are still going to get to see the plays sort of, right? Yeah, I think there's a possibility of us mm-hmm. doing it. It's just if people were to tune in, they would just have to deal with seeing like just the yeah. clicking around and like yeah. the waiting a little bit for plays to load yep. and just annoying stuff like that. But yes. I do think it's possible or there are other avenues where we can go where we can cut up our five favorite plays on defense, five play- plays on offense. I could put it in one video and then we record one just breaking down those plays. That's possible. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll workshop it some more off pod. John Caroli asks... What does Nick's diet actually look like? What do you eat and what do you avoid? Okay, so John. <laughs> my, thank you, John. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. So I, I've been trying to expand out and, and eat a little bit, um, enjoy myself a little bit more. But <laughs> unfortunately, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. And the food out here isn't really all that great. They have good Mexican food. And there are some like star-studded type of restaurants. But my schedule is preventing me from going out as much as I'd like during the fall. So... I hate, I guess you could say a lot of eggs, a lot of protein. I I don't have as much carbs as I probably should have. I've been trying to substitute rice with cauliflower rice and things like that. I do have a decent amount of rice cakes. I slap a piece of cheese on the rice cakes. That's my little, you did this, but it's, that's my little cheese. It's like fake cheese, isn't it? Uh, no, I get, now I get the real cheese, like, (laughs) but but I melt it in the microwave and I have like a little like grilled cheese kind of thing on a rice cake. So it's like, that's like my little treat. I love that grilled cheese. And then I have like I have sugar. That girl, go ahead. Sorry, I, I have a uh, some yogurt for breakfast that's sugar free, and Ugh. yeah, and then whatever uh, my um Yikes. my lady and and me want want to eat for dinner. Only it's usually for me much more vegetable heavy and much more meat heavy. So steak or beef and then chicken and stuff like that. So I kind of just stick to that, and I'm a big fish guy too. Yeah. My diet is unfortunately a disaster these days. I mean, during football season when I'm working these like massive weeks between the podcast and my job cbs i just eat whatever i can it ends up being a ton of takeout i do chipotle a lot which by the way i don't know if it's healthy but in my mind i convince myself it's healthy i never get the sour cream i never get the cheese so i start with that i always get the brown rice and i do always the fajita vegetables and all the beans and just the meat so i don't know i convince myself it's healthy i'm sure it's not but i do that a lot so dom defalco asks oh did you have something nick no, okay. Dom DeFalco asks, let's get a fun tailgate question in here. What is the best food you or someone else has made before a Giants game at a tailgate? Part two, what's the most drunk you ever got heading into a game? Oh, easy rice cakes with cheese, man. That's the best food you can have at a tailgate. <laughs> no, uh, honestly, I think wings are, are a great tailgate thing. You just get messy. You're in it. You're drinking beer. You're drinking whiskey. And as for getting drunk, I haven't really gotten pissed drunk at any kind of tailgates. I've probably only tailgated like twice in my life. I haven't really been to many games, uh, to, to be honest. Growing up, we didn't really go to many games. But I would say probably the drunkest I ever was was right when I got out of the Marine Corps. I went to a Giants preseason game against the Jets. And I honestly, I was 
buzzed. I wasn't even really that drunk, so it's not that cool. <laughs> I would say the best tailgate food is flank steak. It's such a good, like a uh, skirt steak, actually not flank steak, skirt steak, marinated skirt steak is so good. You put it out there. Everybody has a couple bites of that, put it on a plate. No, it's a weird one, but it is so good at a tailgate or steak sandwiches that people make. I'm a big fan of steak at a tailgate. Like I don't need to just have the crappy, it's not crappy, but I don't need to just have hot dogs and, and crap. You're, like you're a big like, beef guy, right? Yeah, I do love look, beefy, beefy beef. beef. I, do, I do eat a, a stupid amount of red meat in my diet that one day will come back to haunt me. I'm sure. But Knock on wood for that not to happen. But as far as the second question goes, what's the most drunk you've gotten before heading into a game? So I've been to a ton of tailgates in my life, but the majority, not the majority of them, the majority of them are Giants games, but only ones I've ever been drunk at are Wisconsin football games. When I went to Wisconsin for the University of Wisconsin for school, drunk as hell at every one of those. As far as the Giants game goes, there's been a couple Monday night games I can remember getting drinking a little too much in the parking lot and feeling pretty buzzed and drunk. And I always get a beer or two in the stadium. So then that kind of added to it. But I personally do not like to be blackout drunk at a Giants game because I want to remember it, especially if the Giants are actually playing for meaningful games like they are this season. I want to be able to remember the game. So that's a big factor for me in that. With Wisconsin, I kind of wanted to be able to remember those games, but I didn't really give a shit. I was young. I wanted to have fun and party. So I'm a big comedy enthusiast. So I go to the comedy club a lot out here in Phoenix whenever there's comedians that I respect. Joe Gatto was out here and I got pretty drunk before that comedy show. And I went there and I left very disappointed because he's not a stand-up comedian. He just kind of went up there and told impractical jokers uh, stories and stuff like that. And I left and I was like telling my girl, I was like, oh, that sucked. There were no jokes, <laughs> you know? So that would, I guess, be one where I was pretty lit for an event. It wasn't a tailgate necessarily, but just for an overall event. But Wait, before I got an Impractical Jokers hot take, I need to get out. All right, look, I laugh when I watch Impractical Jokers. It's a funny show. It's an objectively funny show. But I find it overrated. Why? It's the same thing over and over and over again. It's just... How many episodes are you going to make of you pranking people? Like, and some, it's just like, so like, I don't know. I find it a bit overrated. I would never watch one of those dudes do stand up ever. Yeah, that was a mistake to stand up. Yeah. I would watch Sal do stand up because he is a stand up. Okay. So that's one thing I'll say. Like, I'll give him credit. Joe was not a stand up. And when it was a little bit disappointing when, when you go in there expecting jokes, punchline setups, and just the art of stand up comedy. Rowan asks, How has the tight end position planned out according to you? Yeah, that's an inch. I think he means played out, maybe. Um, when you're typing from the phone, I do this all the time. There's a lot of bad autocorrects, so I'm just going to go with played out here from Rowan. Yeah, it's been interesting. Like, I was not necessarily sure that Daniel Bellinger was going to play this many snaps, but it made a lot more sense as we got closer to the season because there just wasn't anything else there. But I'll say this. I've been impressed with Tanner Hudson. Very impressed. I make that clear on all the All-22 pods. He's my boy right now, my low-key boy, the unheralded guy on this roster. And I think that he's playing more than I expected him to play this early. They scooped him up off waivers. All these other receivers are taking years, it seems like, to pick up the system. They're still running wrong routes, according to Sterling Shepard and Brian Dable. But Tanner Hudson's finding a way on the field. So that's obviously, in my mind, probably a good sign. So I would say I, the only thing that surprised me so far, so far is Tanner Hudson. Daniel Bellinger has played 71 snaps, Tanner Hudson 46, and Chris Myrick 38. And I think a lot of these times, these guys are being left in to pass block. I, I don't want to say a lot of times, but there have been times where they've been left in the pass block. They're definitely last, it seems like, in the progression. There's not a lot of plays designed for them. 
other than the two touchdowns, ironically yeah. enough, to Daniel Bellinger and Chris Myrick. But in between the 20s, you're not seeing a lot of plays specifically designed for them. But Tanner Hudson has been open a couple different times. Oh. I, I like the group, but there's no star power there. This is a group that you can possibly win with, but not you're not winning because of them right now. And a lot of that is because Daniel Bellinger is a young player. He's still learning the ropes. Rookie tight end, that's very difficult. I think Tanner Hudson is a good addition, but if you're relying on Tanner Hudson basically as like a de facto tight end one, I don't know how, how far you're going to be able to have success with that with the current state of the Giants wide receiver core. But overall, I'm, I'm okay with what's going on with that position. Yeah, we got a fun one coming up, and I didn't spend the last eight years of my life writing headlines for 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports to not use this one in the headline for this mailbag. So you'll be seeing this name when you read the, when you when you click the details and listen to this podcast. It's life, baby. But Rob Leonard asks, what do you guys think of Tiki Barber saying the Giants should consider pursuing Lamar Jackson free agency next offseason? That contract would be hefty. Oh, but yeah. how? exciting would it be to have Lamar Jackson as the quarterback of the New York Giants, Dan? It'd be insanely exciting. And let's say this. Well, do you have more you want to, before I dive in? I was just going to say, it'd be something that I'd be open to. But like, I don't think it's a slam dunk just because I don't know the exact plan of what Joe Shane and Brian Dable are trying to do here in New York. I don't know if they want to get somebody, build up the roster like they did in Buffalo and have that guy on his rookie contract. I'm just not certain on that because there's a lot of merit to that argument. But if you're looking for just an absolute stud who's still relatively young, who would open this offense up so much, Lamar Jackson is that guy and he could be available. Yeah. Look, I'm open to it. I'm open to any ideas that can upgrade this quarterback position. I'm open to him now. I'm open to him tomorrow. I'm open to him yesterday until we have a quarterback who can win you a Super Bowl. And unfortunately, right now, if I'm being honest, I don't think Daniel Jones can do that, at least not on a consistent basis. Can he lockbox into one? Sure. Look, Joe, Nick Foles lockbox into a Super Bowl. The dead the dead corpse of Peyton Manning lockbox into a Super Bowl. Trent Dilfer lockbox. I'm not going for lockbox Super Bowls. I'm going for a consistent chance to have a potential Super Bowl winner. And so I do believe that Lamar Jackson can be that. I know that's a big talking point with a lot of fans. A lot of fans are going to immediately rule this idea out. And I get it. He struggled in his rare, small, sample size playoff appearances. But guess what also he hasn't had? The same thing we knock like the, the a lot of these quarterbacks are not having any talent at the receiver position like Marquise Brown was his one and nothing else. So we had, they were sending out guys like Boykin and idiots at like the wide receiver two and wide receiver three position for years there with Jackson. He's never. Plus, I honestly believe, Nick, that and I gave it credit at the beginning and I still give it some credit. I think Greg Roman is not a great coordinator for him either. That holds back what his upside is as a passer as well. I was always high on Lamar. I got that 2018 draft class as wrong as you can possibly get a draft class. With the exception of Lamar, I was wrong on Josh Rosen. I was wrong on Darnold. I was wrong on Josh Allen. With the exception of Lamar Jackson, I was a big proponent of trade back into the end of round one if you're the Giants, pick up Lamar Jackson if they're going to skip quarterback with that first pick, which obviously, as I said, I was very wrong on. I wanted Rosen or Darnold, so I'm making that clear. But I like Lamar Jackson because when I watched him at college at Louisville, he was not what everyone said he was. He was going through progressions. He was running a pro. He was running a, a you know a pass friendly offense more than people realize. And what I've seen the pro level is he's a great over the top thrower with great touch on the deep ball. He doesn't throw the out the outs for great. Like like that's that's the fact of the matter. He does not have, in my opinion, amazing arm talent. And that seems crazy because of how well he can throw down the field. But as far as just the velocity and compact throwing style on those outs and those tougher passes, those tight window throws, that's not what Lamar is. But I'm not so sure that Brian Dable and 
Mike Kafka are like, I need that. They may be like, if I get this dude back here, holy crap, can I design a fun offense that's going to be explosive and take us to the Super Bowl? So I'm very open to the idea. Yes, Nick said a great point here. The contract would be a stupid absurd. If he goes to free agency, is not re-signed by the, by, the, by the Ravens, he'll be in one of the most insane bidding wars we've ever seen for a quarterback. Because quarterbacks like this just do not hit free agency often. Drew Brees hit it back in the past, but that was after a shoulder surgery, and he was not, he was not getting that same kind of traction. This will be an insane level of traction if he somehow hits the free agent market. So yes, they'd have to overpay. I don't ultimately know that I care though, if they give him, you know, their contract situations as they is or as they are right now, but at the same time, it's something to consider. Um, and so is the playoff lack of success. albeit on a small sample size. And the point that both me and Nick agree with that he doesn't really throw the outs that well to be completely honest in MetLife too, in the winter with the wind, that could be a problem maybe, but, but man, it's, it's, it's enticing for sure. It's definitely enticing, and I don't think it's 100% either way, but definitely in consideration, not something that I believe should just be written off. Alex Zonic asks... Let me move on to that one, actually, Nick. Another question that came in that somewhere along the line that both me and Nick remember seeing on our timeline, but then couldn't find on Twitter this morning. We were trying to recap this. It almost feels like another Mandela effect. I don't know if anybody knows about that, but if not, you should watch the how-to with John Wilson on the Mandela effect. It's on HBO uh, Max. It's the show that Nathan Fielder produced. Unbelievable show. And it's probably one of the best episodes where they just in where he meets some Mandela effect truthers. Anyway, it's the idea that you remember something and a group of people remember something, but it's not actually true. But we do think we remember someone asking us about if the Ravens re-sign Lamar Jackson, should the Giants consider a quarterback like Tyler Huntley? What are your thoughts on that, Nick? Well, I think they have Tyrod Taylor under a contract that allows him to play next season. And you're not going to, I don't believe you're going to sign Tyler Huntley and just be like, this is our guy. I think if you're not going to get someone like a Lamar, you're going to go and pursue your future quarterback if it is not Daniel Jones in the draft. So bringing Tyler Huntley in would be somewhat redundant to me in terms of what they already have in Tyrod Taylor, albeit I think Huntley has a higher ceiling and has a lot more potential than Tyrod Taylor. I just don't see Shane hitching his wagon to a player like Huntley, who isn't Lamar Jackson, although he is an interesting player. Yeah, this is an interesting one for me specifically because I think this falls along the lines of they are in a position where they won too many games and they can't really draft a quarterback, so that's kind of off the table. Now, if that's the case, Huntley is younger than Tyrod Taylor and, in my opinion, showed some interesting signs as far as field vision post-snap. I thought he looked pretty good processing the field given the circumstances last year. So maybe there's upside there, but the problem is what Nick, for me, the problem is what Nick alluded to a little bit earlier in, in his breakdown, which was what does the contract look like, right? Like you can't get this guy cheap. Like he's, there's going to be some kind of bidding for a guy like this. Maybe you get him somewhat, I don't know, but and he's young enough that like, it could be like, you have to give him a three-year deal. I don't know if I want to give a three-year deal to Huntley because where does that put them in then for the next draft class where they could potentially have a quarterback they like. So uh, it just doesn't really add, make too much sense, in my opinion, based on that. Alex Zonic asks, how many games in order to truly evaluate the ability potential of this team and how many calories <laughs> do each of you burn during these offensive and defensive All-22 podcasts? You know, that gives me an idea, actually, Alex. I am not doing enough exercise in my life and specifically during football season. If I buy a treadmill... Can I hook up my podcast equipment and computer and everything in a way where I can walk on the treadmill while doing the podcast? So I'm going to think about that. I think I'd be out of breath and it would impact the quality of how I talk. So I'm not 
certainly sold that this is viable, but we're not burning too much, Alex. We're talking a lot. You don't burn calories talking, or do you? I don't know. Someone do the sports science on that thing. So as far as how many games in order to truly evaluate the ability, potential of this team, yeah, that's a really good question, especially because we really haven't seen that much from in my mind, at least, what the offense wants to achieve from a philosophical standpoint yet. As me and Nick have both said, they've been really reserved with their passing game. So maybe let's say, I'd say maybe like six to eight games, Nick. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think you could take it a game at a time, right? You're playing your opponent, and the objective is to beat said opponent. So you look at the Tennessee game, they did, but I mean, if Randy Bullock kicks a 47-yard field goal, then they lose. In the game against Carolina, you're playing against a an opponent that has Baker Mayfield as their quarterback, a younger offensive line. They could have lost that game, but they forced two fumbles on the opening possessions and they end up winning that football game. I think you can evaluate it game by game. I don't know if it would take six to eight games for for, uh, for there to be like the true comprehensive evaluation. I think things are fluid. I think there's going to be different personnel coming in and out. Injuries are going to happen. So I'd say that you just take it a game by game. And that's the way I kind of approach it right now because I don't know the full potential of this team quite yet through two games. You know, I'm encouraged. I, I am more optimistic than I was at the beginning of the season. But at the same time, Dan, I also acknowledge the fact, as we've said several times on the podcast, that this team could easily be 0-2. So I like the direction of where Brian Dable is taking him, but at the same, but I'm not certain as to the true potential quite yet because it's early. Jake the Giant asks, the important questions why do you hate Tranquility Base Hotel so much? <laughs> Gotta appreciate it for the concept album that it is. Deserves another listen with a glass of bourbon. Yeah, I mean, I could spend a long time talking about this, but considering maybe 1% of our listeners has, I'm hoping it's more than that. It really should be more than that, but Nick certainly doesn't. Has and 50% idea? of the hosts, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the heck they're talking about. So what he's referring to here is an album from one of my favorite bands of all time, The Arctic Monkeys. It's their most recent album. And in my mind, unfortunately, from what I've heard from band members, this is what it's going to sound like from this point on from this band. So, Jake, what I did for you is this. My job is nice. I work from home. I re-listened to the entire album through before this, and I wrote notes. And then after that, specifically because I wanted to compare, I listened to the first album, whatever you say. I forget the name, whatever you say, not. And I also listened to AM. Not my two favorite albums, my two second and third. My favorite album is Favorite Worst Nightmares, the one of the best albums of all time. But I just got to say, Jake, as I listen through, here's the problem with Tranquility Base Hotel. You take everything that makes the band so amazing, the guitar, the drums, the bass lines, and you take it all out. As I listen through the band, the, as I listen through, um, you know, the, the album again, it completely minimizes Helder. The drums are just nowhere to be found in this entire album. There's a decent riff in Golden Trunks, a decent riff in American Sports. Four to Five is the only song at all that sounds anything like their entire discography, their, their best stuff from their entire discography. Science fiction is just a trash song. And it just sucks the entire energy out of the band, this album. That's what my biggest takeaway from this. As I've always said, I don't like to yuck other people's yums. If you enjoy this album, God bless. But as far as for me, I, do, I will not appreciate it for the concept album that it is because it sucks the life out of the band and it takes away all that they're great at. It takes away their guitar. It takes away their bass lines. It takes away their drums. So it just was, there was no bigger difference to me that when that album finished through and it's not like I, it, I hated it so much. I needed to turn it off. I let it all play out. I listened again. And I'm like, Ugh, this is just what I thought it was. It's only the second time I've ever listened to it. I was one and done on it originally. But then I threw on immediately A Certain Romance after it, one of their first songs they ever came out with from their first album. And just listen back to A Certain Romance. 
And in that song, immediately you get unreal guitar, unreal drums, unreal bass line, and or a pretty good bass line. And it's just, that's what it's all about. Another reason I hate this album, just to finish it off here, right when this album came out, I went to an Arctic Monkeys concert up in Boston. I was so excited. It was the first time they were touring since AM, basically. And I went to an AM show in Madison Square Garden, one of the best shows I've ever been to. Went up, drove up four hours to Boston to see the show. It was the single worst concert I've ever been to in my life. A completely scripted set list that didn't veer off anything you would expect, like the usual, like, you know, um, Teddy, um, um, Teddy Pickers, like everything you get that you know that you always get. And the band just had no energy. That was the biggest problem they really look done with each other at that point i think that personally them doing this album ruined the band i'm going to finish off there by saying it ruined the band because it made it too much about the singer really and the writing and just like you said the lounge album or whatever this was but meh i'll, I'll end it there nick Jake the Giant and Dan Schneier, the only two people listening to this podcast who enjoyed that. All right. <laughs> Check out that shirt. There will be some Arctic Monkeys fans on this podcast. I promise that. I got you. I got you. Johnny asks, love the show, guys. Thank you, Johnny. Looking at the schedule, we should be no worse than five and three going into the bye. Bears, Jaguars, Seahawks, all beatable. And what does the offense need to do to put up more points, like 30, consistently, which will be needed to defeat teams like the Ravens, Packers, and the Eagles? Sure. And I want to make this clear, Johnny, while I love this feeling, I don't think we're at the point yet where we can say we can be no worse than X and X, because like Nick said earlier, we could easily be 0-2 right now. That's just, we're not yet the team that is expected to beat anyone, unfortunately. And that's just, it's not unfortunate. Let's just call it what it is. Like, it's where we are right now. It's year one of a rebuild. As far as how do they start scoring more points, it's the three, fa- the three for me, it's the three big factors. It's one. Can Daniel Jones improve his post-snap vision and processing? Can he improve his pocket manipulation? It's two. Can the wide receivers start to create more separation? And it's three. Can the off interior offensive line do its job? And can Evan Neal, after a bad week two, settle in? Yeah, I think all those points Dan just named make a lot of sense. And I think that's the key. It's all on the offensive side of the football, too. All in the passing kind of- game, really. And now you got to factor in the loss of Leonard Williams and what that might do to the defense and their ability to stop the run. So you factor that in and it's a little bit of negativity around the defense. But I think Dan is right. This team could be 0-2. And what I will say, Giants find ways to lose both of those games. And somehow they just won them both. So it says something about the current state of the Giants that just that even that luck right there in terms of week one, Randy Bullock missing the field goal, it broke their direction. And that is just baby steps in the right direction because in the past we know Randy Bullock drills that and if he didn't somebody's jumping off sides or something's happening and it's going to shoot the Giants in the foot but as of right now I look at the Bears the Jags and the Seahawks all winnable games doesn't mean they're going to win them the Lions beginning of the season we said that was a winnable game and now we see Aiden Hutchinson getting like three sacks a game and he's just absolutely balling and I'm a little worried about a player like that so I don't think that's as winnable as we initially thought. So we got to take this one week at a time, stay healthy, and improve this offense. Practice in and practice out. And if that offense can take steps forward, then they can get to that 30-point mark, hopefully. But we're not quite there yet. This is two straight weeks of the offense being meh, you know? Yeah. So we, we want them to take that next step. Yeah, and really, meh is not even – we're being nice by calling it meh, right? When you're 31st in passing, your offense is one of the worst in the NFL. It's a passing league. So they made some big plays on offense for sure. Uh, a couple, really, the the Barkley and the Shepard. Um, and that's that's basically been it through two weeks. So they, there needs to be a lot of improvement on the offense to score 30 points. This is a fun one coming from Malcolm X. Malcolm X says, 
If you size up our drafts and the Cowboys drafts over just the last two years, who made out best? For example, we lost out on Parsons, but I love the trade and I'm a Tony truther. I like what we've done. Yeah. You know, I go I have, back and forth on this, okay, go ahead. but I have to say losing out on Micah Parsons, I think in like five years, we might look back and be like, that's just absolutely devastating because this kid is, is, is just a difference maker. And he literally could be like an all pro year in year out. And if that is the case, which it seems like it's likely trending in that direction, I don't think you can look at it and say the Giants won that specific trade if Micah Parsons develops into that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. Odds Trader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. Odds Trader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. Actually, mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. You may see your coworkers cracking these open at the 9 a.m. stand-up meeting, but again, not beer. They're just parched, dehydrated, or just downright thirsty, and they're drinking the new mountain spring water brand called liquid death. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. So go to liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE if you want to try this tasty new Liquid Death. Yeah, I think you're right about that, Nick. Oh, um, 
Yeah, but yeah, I mean, as long as Evan Neal could make that, you know, like we could, it could be cha- different if Evan Neal is a mate becomes amazing. I'm not so sure Tony's going to get there, but if Evan Neal comes amazing, it could be different. And maybe even if Tony, if it all clicks for him. So I think there's still a lot of factors. I don't really love answering this question, Malcolm. I'll just tell you why. It's because I need, I personally would prefer two to three years before I start evaluating draft classes. So, yes. so, so for now, I think if you want to ask us something about the 2019 draft or something, for example, I'll go in on anything like that. Although we probably don't want to look back at the 2019 draft with Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, and DeAndre Baker as the first three picks there. But um, who did the Cowboys get in 2018? They didn't do. They did even worse. It feels like uh, sort of uh, Tristan Hill, Connor McGovern, Tony Pollard. But they were also picking 20 picks later, and they didn't have two first round picks like the Giants. So it is what it is. Or three first round picks. Oh my God, I forgot Baker was also a first round pick. Yeah, they traded back up to get Baker, and I think Dan's right. It, it is premature. But that's why I preface everything. Like if the trajectory continues with Micah Parsons and this dude is all pro every single year, you're going to need Evan Neal to be better than what we think Andrew Thomas is going to be and Kadarius Tony to get his stuff together a little bit in order for the Giants to come out ahead. But there's still a lot to play out, a lot of football to play out in terms of you know solidifying that opinion. John G asks, what is on Nick Filato's Mount Rushmore of beers? And I editorialize this by saying maybe he's looking for a joke answer, but I, it's probably a better question for me. Yeah, it's absolutely. I I can name you like the the generic ass beers. Like I don't know any dude. So some of my best friends, like I'm in their weddings. My best friends from back home, they're all beer snobs, beer connoisseurs. <laughs> Whenever we get together, we go to beer gardens, we go to breweries, and I'm always kind of miserable. Like I'm happy to be with them. <laughs> I don't want to go to a brewery. Like that's terrible for me. Unless there's a distillery attached to it, there's no reason for me to be at a brewery. So I'm not going to be like, oh, can I get a dark IPA? Like it's just not who I am. Like I, I the dark I, IPA. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a thing. Like no, that's so big. yeah. That's, if I had a Mount Rushmore, it'd be like Michelob Ultra, Bud Light Lime. It would be the most embarrassing stuff, man. Oh man, I'll give you mine. I'll give you mine. Uh, mine is number one, Spotted Cow. The goat, the goat of all goats, the beer that anyone could drink and every, anyone could enjoy. For a while there, it was only sold in Wisconsin. I think they finally you can get it elsewhere, but I've been looking and I can't find it anywhere. Someone can get me Spotted Cow or just like direct me on how I can order it for myself. Just, just let me know. I'd love to have some of those around. That's my one. My number two is Treehouse Brewery up in, I believe, Vermont. They have an Orange Julius. It's the IPA type drink, but it's basically just like a f- unbelievable juice bomb with orange juice. So freaking good. Try their orange Julius. Treehouse has like seven amazing beers there. It's probably the best brewery in the country, Treehouse Brewery. So that's the one and two. The third one for me would probably be, I don't know how to, I never know how to pronounce it, but Jaiali, I think it is. Hyali, J-A-I space Ali. It's a based on based in a brewery out of Tampa Bay. I've actually been to the brewery to have that live. Shout out Jordan Kovacs, my best, one of my best friends who lives down in uh, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm area. And we've gone to that brewery and we were out in Tampa. Unbelievable beer. So those are my three picks there. So when I was a younger man in my early twenties, I had a thing for Miller High Life. I felt like Miller High Life. Was, is that, is that a respected beer? I respect it. I think it's one of the best light beers. Okay. But All right. It's not really a respected beer. No. If the answer is just straight up, is it respected or not? The answer is unfortunately no. All right. We got Dina. Uh, I think I know who this is. We got a Dina who asks, Pork, uh, pork roll or Taylor ham based on the question and arguments we've had before about if central Jersey is real or not. I think I know who this is if I'm guessing right, but Nick, are you a pork roll or Taylor ham guy? Taylor ham. Of course. I know what, who the hell calls it pork roll. It's obviously Taylor ham, egg and cheese. I ordered a Taylor ham, egg and cheese. I'm not ordering a pork roll, egg and cheese. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's ridiculous. And people are like, well, Taylor Ham is the pork roll. It's just I the know. brand. It's like, yeah, but you call a cotton swab a Q-tip, don't you? Yes, like, true. that's like it's the same thing. And Central Jersey, man, I've come around on Central Jersey. I'm a North Jersey snob, but I've come around on Central Jersey because Diana, my girlfriend, she's from Central Jersey, and I initially just always crapped on it in the beginning of the relationship. I was like, it's not a thing, whatever. And then I spent so much time in Hillsboro and that area, and I was just like, man. This is different than North Jersey, and it's yeah. not as disgusting as it's South Jersey. It's not as disgusting as South Jersey. That's a great way to describe that. Is that you know, <laughs> so, disgusting? I love that. So it's uh, then I I came around and I do acknowledge Central Jersey, but North Jersey is still the goat. Yeah, I actually agreed with Diana the whole time that Central Jersey is real. I just didn't, and and now I think, and I've always kind of knew it was better than South Jersey. Just nothing's North Jersey though. Just nothing is as good as North Jersey, and that's just the fact of the matter. You're close to the city. The food's better. The people are better. And then the, the beach is its own thing. I, I exclude that from South Jersey. And I don't know if that's fair. You the know? shore is its own thing. I completely agree with that. So that's just right. like the four different parts of Jersey. All right. That's the last for those fun ones. Let's dive back into a football question, Nick. Where are we at here? It looks like we got We're back Malcolm, Malcolm X. Yeah, Malcolm X. I mean, look, he's fighting for causes and he's asking us questions about the New York Giants all at the same time. And he says, is it too much to expect the offense will get better, quicker, and more decisive as Daniel Jones and company get more comfy in Mike Kafka's system. What is the percentage chance that Daniel Jones turns into a stud by year's end? I have it at 15%. He says it's 5% higher than I had it at the beginning of the year. I think stud is relative. Can he be an above average quarterback? No, it as stud, Nick, because that's how he stud, describes it. I, I don't think, think a lot of people believe that this is still in play. So I yeah, think No, I don't think it is in play, personally. So 0% Daniel- for you? I'd say 1% just because I there were probably people who said Josh Allen would never be a stud and he did. But so Josh let's say Allen like had one, elite arm talent and elite I know, size. And speed. I know. I know. But the crazier things have happened. I don't think it will happen. I think it's vastly in the favor that it will not happen. But I tend to always say eh, maybe 0.2%, you know what I'm saying? So like that's why mm-hmm. I'm saying that but like I really do not think it's going to happen. Let me make that freaking clear. So you're okay? saying there's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> and as for the first part, I think it's definitely in play that we should expect the offense to be more comfortable as weeks progress, especially with the Giants who had so many injuries throughout training camp. But it is a weird situation, as we've said several times throughout the podcast, with Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Toney and just the wide receivers in general. The fact that Wondell Robinson is missing time with injury might slow it down a little bit, but I definitely think that the offense can improve and get quicker and more decisive as weeks go on. Yep. I'll go with 0.1% chance that Daniel Jones becomes a Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes level stud by the end of the season. There is still, again, a small chance of 0.1. Oh, so if we're saying Patrick Mahomes, well, that's, that's a stud, stud, right? What that's else? That's 0%. But there are like, okay. So the game is stud, stud. That, like, that's not on that. Right. Would you say, because I don't know if we would call Kyler Murray a stud yet. He's a great quarterback. Yeah. Right. So then yeah. that, that level has some, not a great chance, but some percentage point, I guess I can maybe assign a couple percent there. But as far as like the stud, which is like, well, is Jalen hurts a stud? No, 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 definitely. No. Okay. Definitely. The way he's playing right now. See, it depends on how, that's why I said it's relative. It depends yeah. on how you're looking at it. Like you're right. talking about overall, like solidified, solidified. And yes, obviously it's Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, guys like that. I wouldn't even but, say it's Herbert just yet. He's very close, but for me right now, it's Mahomes and Allen. And I think Herbert is very, very close. Well, yeah, no, I don't think Daniel Jones has any chance to ever get to that level. But that's why I was like, it depends on what you mean by stud. Can you rely on him to win football games? Is that a stud? Like, like it depends on how you're looking at that question. How about the very next level, which is kind of like the Joe Burrow, um, 
like that level. I think that's where I would put it at like one or 2%. Sure. I'd probably go like point, point 0.1 or point 0.2 at this point for that, but is what it is. Um, but I do agree with the main thing Nick said there. The offense will get better as they get more comfortable. We predicted before the year Daniel Jones is going to have his best statistical season with the Giants. I still think he is. It hasn't gotten off to that great of a start, but I still think as they get more comfortable within the offense and start to play some of these really bad defenses they have coming up, he's going to start to put up stats. It's a quarterback-friendly system. So I still think he's going to have the stats to back it up. But what me and Nick are going to do, because this is what our job is, we're going to evaluate the tape. We're not going to just be like, Daniel Jones has all these great stats, and the Giants won nine games. We signed him for 30 mil. He's doing it. No, no, no. That's not what we do here. We're, we don't want to stick ourselves with a Cousins, Tannehill, car situation. And that's really just like a ceiling play because I don't know if Jones could ever get to that level. Well, that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day, though. Let's go to Sam Frick, who says, what two pass calls and what two run calls do you see as staples of the offense moving forward? So in terms of stuff like this, it's a little bit hard to make that declaration this early because the way offensive and defensive coordinators game plan is against their opponents. So we've only seen two opponents. Now, with that said, I'd say that some calls that popped out to me and I saw it in preseason three by one with the reduced tight end, who is the one receiver you release Saquon Barkley out and he kind of wheels has maybe a choice route to Tanner Hudson or Daniel Bellinger side, Daniel Bellinger runs a vert and then he goes over the middle of the field and then he goes back outside. And then on the three receiver side, I believe it was a double China concept, which is something they ran a lot in the red zone. Double China means the number three and number two receiver or no, the number one and the number two receiver run in routes. The number three, which is the innermost receiver. He runs a flag to the deep corner of the end zone. This is the play that Daniel Jones threw an interception on. It's the play where he threw the ball to Kenny Galladay against the Patriots. It's the play where he hit Saquon Barkley on the choice route against the Patriots as well, going back to preseason. That's a play I've seen three times on film. I don't think I saw it at all in, in week two. Now, another play that I feel like we see a lot of, and it's a good play, is mesh, mesh wheel. So you have two receivers running drag routes, opposite sides. Basically, one goes over, one goes under, creates traffic in the middle of the field. If it's zone coverage, players sit. The wide receivers sit in the voided zone. They feel the coverage. They sit in the voided zone. If it's man coverage, they continue running, try to create horizontal separation. Then you have Tanner Hudson or Daniel Bellinger run a deep, OTB over the ball about five yards behind the mesh. And then you have Saquon Barkley run a wheel route. And then you have like a deep post or a vertical from the other receiver. That's typically a play I've seen several times on film. Run calls against Tennessee, a lot of double puller. So pin pull concept, power gap against Carolina. It was a little bit more zone, a little bit more duo, try to form double teams displace them vertically and then and then find a crease and run they even tried stretching it out running outside zone they still attempted the power gap but there really wasn't a lot of success because the linebackers anytime they saw a a pulling guard they just shot the gap and tried to undercut the run and they had success doing it because Shaq Thompson and Frankie Louvu are really really quick dudes so I think we're going to probably see a lot of power gap but we're still going to stick to duo and zone I think that's going to be a much more varied approach the rushing plays but as for the pass plays those two pass plays I went over are two that have popped up several times on film love it Nick Eugene asks Dan I love the enthusiasm on the podcast your insights on film I asked this of Nick and I wanted to get your thoughts as well with the fact that both Thomas and Neil both look like they dominated week one that one obviously we might have to do an addendum to because Neil wasn't great in week two but do you think the major focus for next year would be to upgrade the interior offensive line I feel like and that's true even if Neil had a bad week it doesn't matter Neil's the dude I feel like we had if we get a stud guard or two 
and re-sign Saquon for a team-friendly deal, we can have an amazing run game. I know re-signing Barkley is a major no-no in the in in the new way of teams doing things, but I just want to get your thoughts given that appears to be our whole offense right now. So is this for me? Do you do you have thoughts? Did you get them through? I have right? thoughts that are that are related to Eugene's question. Yeah, but it's fifty thousand foot view type stuff, which I know you love. We we've seen offensive lines like the Rams recently. They don't haven't allocated a ton of resources towards those offensive lines yet. They were still able to win. Now there are a lot of reasons why it doesn't necessarily have to be just because of that offensive line. We've seen on the flip side. Cincinnati, they've allocated a ton of their offensive line. It still sucks. But last year, they made it to the Super Bowl with a really bad offensive line. And now you look at the Detroit Lions, a team I never thought I would mention in this type of conversation. But dude, they're running the ball down people's throats. They just ran the ball all over Philadelphia. And they have what? Three? Three three ones and a two invested into their offensive line, I think, with Jonah Jackson, Frank Ragnow, Taylor Decker, and then Penny Sewell. And I'm not 100% certain who that other guard is. And they're just dominating up front right? Like vintage Indianapolis Colts type stuff with DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. I'm not opposed to allocating big draft capital into a center because the Giants, if Nick Gates can't get back, that is, of course, if Nick Gates can't get back. Giants haven't had like one of those true centers, somebody who wasn't like a swing tackle at one point in his career <laughs> in so long. That's why I loved Creed Humphrey. I thought he would have been a really good center for the New York Giants. That didn't end up happening. But I think if you can anchor down the center, still have Glowinski, and then Left guard, you can bring somebody in, but I don't think it has to be a really high draft capital guy. I think you could still have a really good rushing attack if Saquon Barkley is in Giants blue next year. But what are your thoughts yeah. on that? It's a really interesting question. I do. It's so interesting because, look, look, you mentioned so many good examples there, right? Like the Bills, for example. That's a team that did not invest an insane amount of money or draft capital into their offensive line, even traded the one guy they traded up to get in the middle of the second round or the top of the second round, Cody Ford. So he didn't work out there. And that's been the style that maybe we can think of. I don't know. I mean, Joe Shane came up in that. He he worked up in that with Brandon Bean. Is that something he's thinking about replicating? I don't know. Because in his first year, he already signed a decent contract guard. He drafted a Zudu, and then he drafted somebody, and, he, and obviously he drafted Evan Neal. So it's interesting. I'm always a big believer. I'm never going to be mad if the Giants invest big capital in offensive line. It's just never. I'm just never going to make me mad because I'm so aware of how much of an impact offensive line has on winning and losing football games. The Saquon Barkley part of this is the is the tough part though because I don't think there is a team friendly deal in play because if Saquon Barkley is what you said, which is it seems like he's our whole offense right now, right? Because right now he has been through the two weeks. I mean, you got one big play, the Sterling Shepard um, on a good alert read by Jones. And other than that, it's been Barkley. And that could be true. But if that's true, he's not taking a team-friendly deal. This is not how it works, dude. He's like, he's in, he's with Rock Nation, right? Yeah, I'm going to say he's with Rock he's Nation. With Rock yeah. Nation. He's, they're not going to be like, well, like the, the Giants aren't going to get this across. Like, you know, you were injured for 2020 and 2021. We look at some history of people coming off the ACL and the MCL. We need to factor this into your contract. No, he's like, dude, I when I'm healthy, which I am right now, I'm doing things like this for you. OK, give me what I want, which is this and this and this. And that's to be probably the highest paid running back in NFL history. That's what I think Barkley will get. If it's not from the Giants, he'll get it from some other team. And that's just how it goes. I think that we've seen it play out way too many times throughout the NFL. Now, the last time this happened was Le'Veon Bell when he hit free agency and the New York Jets gave him that contract. And I don't know that there were any team bidding against the Jets. That's the bigger thing. Like, this might be a thing of the past in the sense that the last time this happened with Le'Veon Bell, again, it was just the Jets. They super regretted that. They cut him in the middle of that contract. So will anyone make that mistake of making Daquan Barkley the highest paid running back in NFL history? I don't know. But 
I just don't think team friendly deal is a thing here. I just don't, I'll believe it when I see it. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's, and why, why should Saquon Barkley take a free a team yeah. friendly? He has to get his man. He has to get his. And right. if there's a demand for him that people are willing to pay, then he should pursue the most. And guess who else has to get his rock nation. <laughs> they get a percentage of this. They're not, they don't want, they don't want to go team friendly. And I'm pretty sure Andrew Thomas is a member of Rock Nation yes. too. So hopefully the Giants can get on good good That's relationship. A good point too, they can't undersell. Yeah. That's a really good point, Nick. They can't lowball Saquon Barkley really. If they come with an offer and they're actually committed to doing this, they have to really come good because they, if you lowball him with with Andrew Thomas on that too, you're kind of put yourself in a bad spot there. Do Mason asks? Thank you. How does getting early turnovers in the plus side of the field slash red zone? early on affect play calling and your scripted play calls? This is such a good question, Mason. I don't know the answer to this. So I want to turn it over to Nick who may or may not know, but it is a good question because you know, a lot of the coordinators have scripted plays, the first 15 plays for what they assume will be like a 75 yard drive. But what happens like Mason says in this example, last week, week one, or I'm sorry, week two, the Panthers fumble the opening kickoff. Now, what do you do? So do you know this by any chance, Nick? I mean, I think it would be dependent on the coordinator. I don't think there is a steadfast rule, so I can't say that I know for certain. I do know that when there's a sudden change, which is a turnover, interception, typically you have some sort of plays you want to go to in those situations. A lot of the times it's big pass play or some sort of like crazy type of could give the ball to Kadarius Tony, have him throw the ball like he did after the long run from Saquon Barkley. That doesn't mean it has to be that. It just depends on the feel of the game and how the coordinator wants to handle that situation. I'm pretty sure after that, though, they probably weren't like, all right, let's just stick to the 15 plays that we wanted to start with. They probably tweaked things a little bit because you just adjust as the game goes. But I don't really have any certainty on any of that. Okay. Fair enough. Mark Brewer asks, what are your guys' overall impressions with Mike Kafka's offense and play calling? Is there anything you'd like to see changed or added? Now, I'm very impressed with Mike Kafka so far. It's two weeks. It's two weeks, and it's his first time ever calling plays, Dan, and I feel like he's done a really good job. I feel like he is helping Daniel Jones as much as he can in the red zone. I feel like he's putting his players in a position to success. And I don't think he has that much to work with outside of star running back Saquon Barkley. And we've seen him have success with Saquon Barkley almost essentially eliminated from the game plan. I felt like Carolina did a good job bottling the run up. They had some success down the stretch of the game, but he had to adjust. He wanted to give the ball to Saquon. He wanted to use Saquon, but it wasn't always there. And he adjusted well, and he slowed down the pass rush of Carolina by using all the play action fakes and keeping them honest. So I'm really pleased with what I've seen so far. Yep. I would say the same thing there. Look, it's not perfect. There are some play calls that me and Nick look on in film and we're like, damn, nothing's open. What happened? But that's like life. Like no play caller calls a perfect game. It's impossible. There's always going to be times where the defense out schemes you and out beats you on the chessboard because look like I, this was great. Aaron Jones said this on a podcast, a fantasy football podcast. He's like, you guys have to remember the defensive players are getting paid to do this too, right? Like they're getting paid on the other side of the ball. So it's not perfect. It can't be, but it's been damn good. So, yeah, I'm with Nick on that. Giuseppe asks, so far this season, what is your favorite new look scheme you've seen from each of our new coordinators? That's a great question. I would say overall, just 30, like for me, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, Wink just putting all those guys at the line of scrimmage and having some guys drop. I mean, Nick, you can get into more specifics on, on, on how all of that works, but I just love to see more of aggressive look, putting those offensive linemen in conflict, right? Like who's coming? who's dropping 
And are you going to be ready? Are you going to take the right step? On the offensive side of the ball, I've seen a lot of post-wheel that I like. I've seen a lot of different clear-out type routes where you have some receivers clearing out. This is something I didn't see a lot of or I didn't see enough of, I should say, with Jason Garrett. Clear-out routes that allow things like the Daniel Bellinger touchdown to happen. Like, you motion Richie James back across the line of scrimmage. And then he's going on the vertical, and so is Kenny Galladay. And there's a wide-open space there for, for, for Bellinger after the catch. So those would probably be just, like, the general things for me, Nick. You might have more specifics. Well, yeah, we broke them down pretty extensively on, on both of the all 22 pot, well, all four of the all 22 podcasts. And I've done a lot of work over at Big Blue View on their YouTube page on the really nitty gritty scheme part of Wink Martindale and what he was able to do in terms of crowding the line of scrimmage and basically just forcing the offensive lineman to account for way more players in their protection package than who actually comes. And then at the snap, they have to quickly process who is coming, who is dropping, locate, and find. It creates, it creates issues a nebulous situation for the offensive line because they don't know who the hell's coming. They don't know if the guy who's lined over the center is coming. Do they have to take the guy who the center would take if that guy who was originally aligned over the center drops into coverage? It's just a way to manipulate and confuse the heck out of the offensive line and what they've done with their safeties around the line of scrimmage then dropping them back into coverage. I just love everything Wink Martindale has done, essentially, from that standpoint. In terms of Kafka, it's the sequencing of plays, man. It's the, I'm going to show you this jet sweep. I'm going to show you this look. And now I'm going to run a different play off of it after yeah. showing you said look. So it's just that overall thing. It seems simple, but it's not something we received, right? Just even the pre-snap motion part of it. Motion yeah. Kadarius Tony and Sterling Shepard off the ass of Daniel Jones a bunch of times at the snap. Don't give him the ball. It's just eye candy. Now you're going to give him the ball. Hey, 19-yard gain by Kadarius Tony. So it's like plays like that. It's showing the defense one thing and then running something off of it subsequently to really maximize the gain that you're going to get. And that also keeps the defense honest. It keeps them guessing, right? So now they're not going to be able to penetrate as quick as they wanted to because they have to read and they have to maintain some sort of gap discipline. And that little hesitation that you can have if you want to attack outside of that linebacker staying put in the B gap can allow a player like Kadarius Tony or Saquon Barkley to get the edge and then run for 60 yards. It's something that we've seen, right? So that would be probably that and just the overall adjustments that Mike Kafka has done to combat the defensive coordinators that he's facing. Those are the things that I really appreciate about both of the coordinators, the adjustments and just their way of taking advantage of what their opponents are doing. Yeah, the pre-stamp motion is the biggest one. It's just a great point that you made. It's so night and day. Okay, 718LG says, why did it take so long to re-sign Jalen Smith? Is he not an upgrade at middle linebacker over what we currently have? I'm not really 100% sure. And remember, Jalen Smith was here last year, but it was a different regime, coach, yeah. different regime. I, I liked him. I thought bringing him back for a tryout during training camp would have been wise just because of his athletic ability. Again, he doesn't seem like he really fully always understands where he's supposed to be, or at least he didn't in Patrick Graham's system. But the guy had juice, man. The guy had burst. You know he had high draft pedigree coming out. I mean, he was a top of the second round pick with the devastating knee injury that he had to overcome against Ohio State when Taylor Decker pushed him after the, the snap, and he ended up snapping his knee consequently. But I'm not really 100% certain, but I'm glad that he's here. I don't think he's going to be a huge difference-making player, but you can use that type of burst and that type of acceleration at this position in this system. Yeah, I agree with Nick. Just from remembering what I saw in the film at the end of last season, I think he can offer something for them. So I don't know if I'm ready to say right away he's a definite upgrade, um, but I'm, I'm willing to open be open to it, and I hope you're right. Uh, okay, Joe Barden asks, which do you think is more important to add next offseason, a good middle linebacker or a good corner two? Good corner two. 
Yeah, for sure. That's the system, baby. We need corners for Wink's system to really maximize. John G asks, through two weeks, do you foresee a future with Adoree Jackson as the long-term cornerback one in Wink's defense? It seemed like it would be a big weakness going into this year, but it hasn't panned out that way yet. I really like Adoree Jackson, and it didn't seem like a weakness to Dan and I because we watched the film last year, and we were like, dude, everyone talks about James Bradbury, rightfully so, but Adoree Jackson is right there with Bradbury. Now he might not make as many impact plays, but in terms of just being in position consistently, Adoree Jackson was, he was one of the most underrated cornerbacks last season. And I think he has even impressed me so far through two games. Now he hasn't really been challenged too much in terms of wide receivers. DJ Moore is a good wide receiver. He wasn't always on DJ Moore. He absolutely shut down Robert Woods, but Robert Woods is kind of dust at this point. I really like him. And I hope that the giants can figure something out to retain him. And I think they're going to allocate resources to the cornerback room next offseason, whether that be through free agency or through the draft. I think that's going to be in their cards because they understand they need corners to run this system. But as of right now, he's still young. I, I want him to be here. So hopefully they can figure something out long term because he's a really effective player. And I think he matches this scheme very well. Yeah, for me, it's all about can he get through the season right now? The injuries have been yeah. an issue for him at times, including last season. If it's another season where he misses a big stretch with injuries, that's where I start to get concerned just because you can get yourself in trouble investing long-term in injured players. But we got one coming in from Instagram here. And just a final sh- or a reminder here, not a final, another reminder here. We've got an awesome thing going right now on Instagram with Dylan Nels. Shout out Dylan running our Instagram account. So we were getting some questions in from there for the mailbags. We want to get to those two. DJ Skazafav says, at this point, do you think Daniel Jones is the guy for the future? No, I do not. Yeah, no. Uh, Buckles asks, would a two-year, $20 million extension with $13 million guaranteed make sense for Daniel Jones this offseason? I think if Jones steps his game up significantly and plays out of his mind, the only way that he's going to be retained is on a is on a deal that is either one year or a deal that the Giants can get out of after one year because he hasn't proven anything up till this point to to warrant a, a big contract. So I think that would be the path to Daniel Jones staying here. Do I think that's going to ultimately happen? Probably not. But that would be like a Mitch Trubisky type of deal. Maybe I think that would probably be what uh, he would be looking at from this uh, New York Giants regime. Yeah, Pat Trina put a tweet out where she said she was thinking they could re-sign Jones to like a De- David Carr, um, Derek Carr, a deal that the Raiders gave Derek Carr. I think it was misinterpreted. A lot of people were trashing her in their replies, but I think what she more meant was a deal that you has like a one year, uh, an option to get out of after one year. Um, I would prefer to lean not on that and more like the one Buckles outlined here, two year, 20, 13 mil. So my whole thing with this, Nick, is this. The Giants win a decent amount of games this year, right? Because the coaching is so damn good. You kind of want to keep that momentum going with winning and the culture of winning. And again, I believe in culture, but in the past, as I've said before, and I'll say again, culture to me is built through winning and consistent winning. So in that sense, my worry about this offseason, Nick, as I thought about this question, I've been thinking about this topic for forever. I think about it randomly at times, <laughs> just how I am as a person. There might not be an option at quarterback, dude. Like, this is just the market right now. Like, we, we keep thinking, like, oh, if Daniel Jones doesn't step his game up, that's it. He's done. But what if there's just nothing else? Like, you might not have anything available in the draft based on where they pick and free agency and then or trade. And so if, you know, Daniel Jones has a possibility of giving them a better chance to keep that winning momentum going next year because he'll have one more year in the system. You won't have to have a guy relearning, trying to get on the same page, all the receivers, add a rapport with the receivers, everything that goes into that continuity factor. So with that said, 
I want to keep the winning culture going despite not believing in Jones long-term. If you could get him for a deal like this, that doesn't really commit to him at all long-term and there are no better options to upgrade. I'm open to it. I got to be honest. I am. And I know some people are going to hate to hear that, but uh, some people I mean, I don't love think to they, hear that. <laughs> I don't think they should hate to hear it because I don't think anything you said is unreasonable. And it also yeah. just depends on the quarterbacks who are available to the New York Giants and where they finish and where they pick. And if they're willing to trade up and, and get rid of future draft assets, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. But the, the deal that Buckles laid out, I, I do think that's not bad in terms of the current quarterback market. I don't know if Daniel Jones as an agent will be okay with him signing that as a starting quarterback. Yeah. Just because it's a starting quarterback. Yeah, this right. isn't a backup deal. Correct. So that's the only thing I'm a little hesitant because that's pretty freaking low. But that that would be yeah. a deal for even a Daniel Jones type. I mean, you're talking about 10 mil a year. Like that's really what freaking they get low. Tyrod for though. Tyrod was similar, right? He had incentives built into it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think initially when you read the deal, it looked like it was a lot more. But then you when you read through the fine lines, you realize it wasn't as much as that. But I, I'm not 100% certain. I can pull that up, though, as we go through the other questions. I only ask that because I don't think that it's insane to say that, like, he shouldn't be getting paid that much more than Tyrod. You could say, oh, he started all these games, and then he got the Giants to the playoffs with nine or ten wins. But there's no guarantee that Tyrod wouldn't if he was in the same position. There's no guarantee. Right now, they're asking Daniel Jones to do absolutely nothing from the quarterback position, and he's still missing reads. So with, with incentive. With incentives, it's an 18 million deal. It's right. two years, 11 million, 4.2 okay. as a signing bonus. And then he has workout bonuses. And if so you got it's on almost the field, double that, then yeah, I think that's fair. Double that deal. That's fine for me. I mean, it, it, assuming he doesn't step up and start playing amazing, then obviously he would require more. And that's when it gets real tricky because I know Nick and me are probably going to have a, a really hard time coming around to any deal for Daniel Jones long term that puts a lot of guaranteed money in that bucket. That's a tough one regardless of what he does this season, to be completely honest, because me and Nick are again, me and Nick are evaluating this thing on a four year sample size, not just the one year. And we're evaluating it within with the context in mind that quarterbacks always look better in year one of a system. Everyone thinks the opposite, but really until they get the film on them, they're going to have a chance to look better. And three, we base this on projections based on traits. We're not looking at it at stats. So just keep all that in mind. We get to that inevitable discussion that's coming this offseason, I'm sure. Joker asks, where is Nick Gates in his rehab? Is there even a possible a possibility of him returning this season? I don't think so, but I have no idea yeah, where his know. rehab is. Yeah, I just Maybe has to be right or that, but they won't know either. They have no shot. Uh, Mikey Glover asks, Dan Duggan has mentioned bringing back Jones on a smaller deal with the uh, than the tag. Okay, this is a pretty similar question the last one we can skip past this one mikey we can but i'm i'm happy that you didn't do the doug because yeah, no, you do the doug a lot no i've been better at dugging him all right storm are you asked i feel like i've been better at that storm are you asked how many great quarterbacks are even in the league every team doesn't have one so we all we all know that some get a little more cover being surrounded by good playmakers some have one saquon eight in the box they're the not dangerous receivers to beat them and send heat um against a not so good offensive line. I think he's just, I, there was a lot of uh, statements there, but I guess the question is how many great quarterbacks are in the league? How many great quarterback again, great might be relative. It's right. How many quarterbacks can win the Super Bowl? Like if you want to go in that direction, well, everyone maybe can, remember we have Dilfer and Bowles who can win it consistently is always my, take. yes. Who can consistently compete? What would you say? Like 12? 
not even i don't think <laughs> uh, let's see, depends. Do let's try to do it right now and see where we where we're both at on this because i think that's fun okay out of the nfc east i think if things go right dak super bowl can uh dak Prescott can consistently win but put you in a position to win super bowls would you agree yes. or disagree so one i would i'm starting to unfortunately think jalen hurts might be there too mm, yeah i mean maybe. it's it's See the, the the Jalen Hurts, the Tua's, and those younger players. It's going to be a little bit difficult yeah, for us. For the younger players, play. right? Yes. But I so let's just rule them out for now and say no because it's unproven. We move on to the next division. Aaron Rodgers, yes. No one else for me there. Anyone else for you there? Um, no, yeah, not really. Kirk Cousins, no, no. Kirk Cousins could win one, but I don't think it's like a consistent thing. No, no. So Kirk, yeah, the, Kirk, the Kirk Tannehill and Carr thing. It's like you got to pay them all this cap space. You're not winning Super Bowls consistently. If you're paying that cap space, which I don't hate, you have to have the Rogers types as your quarterback and the elite guys. All right, next one, Brady. Obviously, anyone yes. else there? No. Who we got? Baker, Jameis, and Mariota. No. Yeah, Ritter, Mariota. No. Okay, Stafford. Yes. Anyone yes. else there? Kyler, Murray, I think Murray, yes. I think, Murray, yes. I think of Kyler, and it's funny, I'm a man, Murray, yes, because I think Murray's been screwed by a horrific GM and a horrific yes. head coach. Exactly, which is funny because we all thought, oh, Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, what a marriage right there, man. Yeah. Air raid, here it comes. And Cliff is Dude like doesn't the even run fake sharp motion. He's such a fake sharp. He's such a fake sharp. I dude. love when you say fake. I love that term, fake sharp. All right, so we got two there. So we have, what do we have now? Two, one, one, and we're just going to go Dak. So we have five uh two one 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 we have five three plus two okay i can do math so then we're gonna go with just josh allen right from that division yes now we have six uh the north burrow lamar. seven lamar eight though some people would argue that but me and you both think yes on that so we're staying true on that eight there and i'm gonna say deshaun watson nine yeah yeah. Even though that's a weird situation, but yeah. But he'll be people are yeah. Unfortunately, the the net sports works. People probably forget it, it is what it is. But he once he's back on the field, he's just going to be ripping it. Um, so that's so what were we at five plus one six nine nine? Because wow, there's three three I guess between just that three and one division is, is pretty sweet. Um, so Stinky nine. Mitch. They're all they're all in the AFC, which is the good part for the Giants as we get through this. We're already at nine. Yeah. We only had five in the NFC. We still have two divisions to go. All right, let's go to. The South. This one's a fun one. I'm not going to say it yet, dude, but I'm putting Trevor Lawrence here. I fucking love this dude. He's already starting to look really good in that. Yeah, system so, so I think the, the Trevor Lawrence's, the Tua's, and all, and Jalen Hurts, those guys, so maybe those guys for me. So I think there's a way different, big, different level between Trevor Lawrence and either of those two. So you're doing it dependent of what's around. Because with Tua, like I don't think Tua is that like maybe that guy, but if you combine him with McDaniel. No, 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 no. no. I'm trying to do de- independent. We're just independent the, of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just independent. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Then that yeah, I'm good with that. Would so we can't put Lawrence because we said we went for this exercise, but pff, he's he's scratching at it. This dude's gonna be there. I mean, this dude's gonna get there. Um, probably. Who knows? It's the NFL. You can get screwed by bad dude, the so West has nine. We're not doing that. And then the West, yeah, <laughs> the West has three for me. No, maybe it's two. Is Russell still capable? Of I'm going to put Russ. I'm still going to put I Russ know, in. There. I, dude. there was a, there was, there was rumors from people who were in the know that this was going to get off to a really slow okay. start just from and the way to think disaster of a coach. Oh yeah. It's, it's not good. And I think he's prime time again this week, oh, which is no. funny. Oh, oh God. No, right. I, all right. Well, so we're going to settle in. I'm going to, no, no, it was at nine because we weren't including Lawrence for the okay. sake of the argument. We weren't. So we're gonna, I'm going to go 11 and a half because me and you are different on Russ. I kind of feel like Russ might be done for that, 
for that level. You're still going to yeah. be able to potentially win one with him, um, but a consistent every year type of contender type thing. So 11 and a half is the answer. So that was fun. I like doing that. Thanks for the question, Storm. David Goodman asks, what's our biggest need for next year after quarterback? Is it corner or wide receiver, or would you put interior offensive line? I think we've yeah, we uh, we tackled this one yesterday. It's just got uh, put into the notes in a redundant manner. Oh, my bad. Uh, no, no, it's all good. I think I actually put this in because it was in my question. So, David, thank you for this, buddy. But, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, corner. I think we yep. went yesterday. So, what's the next one? I feel like we an- might have answered yeah, the I next one. I think Vlado. Okay. Yeah. I think- well, Daniel Jones. No, we already answered that. Will he play his best game against the Cowboys? Yep, my okay. bad. Hold on. Johnny yeah, says, I yeah, love okay. the show. I'm looking at the schedule. Should we be no worse than five yeah. and three going into the oh, no, we, we did this one. <laughs> we continue to win in spite of DJ's inadequate talent level. Is he gone? Yeah, past? we can answer that one, but it's kind of redundant yeah. too. But we can yeah, I say we just yeah, you could scrap it. Uh when will we see Tony as yes, wide receiver? That means like yeah. a lot of snaps. Okay. Craig Sawicki says, when will we see Tony as a wide receiver one through three in Dave's offense? Basically, I think that means like when will we see him playing a full, basically a full complement of snaps? I'm not 100% certain, but I hope soon. So far, he's played 35. So that's a big step, right? Because he only played seven in week one. And I think you're going to see him showcase a little bit on Monday night. I think Dable knows his Monday night football. He's going to get him up to speed. And if he's not fully up to speed, if that's the reason why he's not getting out there, then I think you're going to have a lot of design plays to him. Because we saw what he did against Trayvon Diggs. We saw what he did against the Dallas Cowboys last year. And we know his potential. I think the Giants need to find a way to showcase that. I don't think rolling out David Stills and Richie James against Dallas is going to be the best way to create immediate separation that will slow down the pass rush of Micah Parsons, which is really scary. So I think we're going to see a decent amount of Kadarius Tony on Monday night. I hope you're right. We got two more questions and one bonus one that I will describe to you now, Nick and listeners as the weirdest question we've ever gotten. The most, pro- not the weirdest, let's say the most like, surprising one i don't know weird not in the normal weird sense but we'll get to it dom manzella asks how concerned are you is this dom man this can't be the real dom manzella do you remember dom manzella nick do you know what dom manzella is i don't believe i do the youtube let me just make sure this is his real name you answer the you ask the question i'm gonna look up at this no it was dom mazzetti mazzetti okay never mind anyway. wow way to confuse your paisans bro <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody remember dom mazzetti let us know because that guy was kind of funny all right dom Manzella asks how concerned are you so far about the lack of offensive production do you think it will improve yeah i think it will improve as people get more comfortable with kafka's system like we talked about a little bit earlier but i'm a little i don't want to say concerned but yeah it, it there, there are holes, but we were aware of some of the holes that were on this roster and how it might be a slow start. What I'm not concerned about is the coordinator. And that was a big question mark going into this. So there's definitely reasons to be optimistic about the offense and the direction of this offense under Kafka. But I would like for them to score a little bit more points and be a little bit more consistent on offense in terms of throwing the football. Yeah, it's a great question. I'm kind of exactly with Nick. I'm not concerned because I think it will improve. Now, that doesn't mean I think there's some sign of some sort of crazy ceiling here. I, it's hard to, for me to imagine a ceiling with Daniel Jones as quarterback, the current interior offensive line, and the current wide receiver group. That's not a top five, top ten offense to me, no matter who's your coordinator, no matter how brilliant they are coming up with plays and route signs. But they're going to get better. Jones is going to get better within the system. He's going to be more confident within the system. The receiver is going to run the right routes, we hope. And the interior offensive line, hopefully, will get better. That one may never happen. But even if two of the three happen, the offense will be better. So, yes. John Caroli asked, any thoughts on trading a late-round pick for Denzel Mims? He's still on a rookie deal and probably has more upside than a late-round flyer. Yeah, he hasn't 
he hasn't played any snaps this season, Denzel Mims. I mean, there might be upside there. He's six foot three, 207 pounds, has speed. He's only 24 years old, like you said, still on a rookie deal. But I don't know if that's the direction that Joe Shane and Brian Dable will go in. But I'm not going to say there's not upside there. But I think the Jets could probably get more than like a seventh round pick for this guy. And I don't really want them to be trading like a four or anything like that. I think a conditional sixth or seventh might actually get it done considering where they're at now. The question is, do I want to do it? I'm open to it, like Nick said, because you would be adding that potential speed on the outside theoretically on paper. But in realistically speaking, when, right? This is gonna he's gonna have to learn a whole new system, one that's been described as somewhat complicated, at least in the sense that as Shepard said last week and Dable too, receivers are still running the wrong route. So it's just not a good timeline for this. If you were going to do this, I would rather have done this right away at the beginning of the offseason type of thing. So you can get him in the system and give him a chance to get going on that. Okay, one final question that I did consider just it doesn't make sense to me, but I love you, the real amp. The real amp asks, have you guys ever been to the basketball hall of fame? <laughs> what the fuck? Like I haven't. I don't even know where the basketball hall of fame is. I don't either. And I don't, we've never talked about basketball on this podcast. Me and Nick are not basketball dudes. I, I love the Wisconsin Bachelor, Badgers basketball program. And they came really close to giving me a championship. If it wasn't for that piece of crap, Grayson Allen going off off the bench and just some Mike Krzyzewski ruined fucking makes deals with the refs and gets horrible calls against Wisconsin was up eight with seven to go or seven with eight to go in that game. I remember walking home from that bar that night. I was so so sad. They'll never get back there, but I don't really watch the NBA that much until the playoffs. So no, it's in Springfield, Massachusetts. Oh, all right. Great. Yeah. I don't really know much about it, but no, I have not. And if you have, I hope you had a really good experience. My friend, there's no way that could have been worse than listening to my review of the tranquility based hotel, us talking about basketball, but I'll leave it on. I'll leave it on that. We hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Please download rate subscribe, play download, follow us on Instagram. Do it all for us. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your weekend. And hit me up on Twitter. You're going to the Giants game this Monday night. I stop by the Talking Giants tailgate first with Justin. Then my brother's going to get in from the city and meet up with my uncle and cousin. Going to a family tailgate probably. You probably can't come to that. But you can come and meet me at the open uh, Talking Giants tailgate. I'd love to see all of you guys. Have a good rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.